It's really good, isn't it, to be gathering together to, to worship Him and to really grow in Him. And uh, I've really enjoyed going through the series over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, started in January, didn't we? Thinking about what our vision focus is, which I've talked about already, this sense of drawing near to God and that promise from James 4 that if we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. And there can be a danger, as we keep restating it, that we lose the emphasis of what this actually means. And I want to just remind us of how amazing it is that actually as we draw near to the maker of the universe, the God of all gods, that he will draw near to us. What an amazing promise that he offers to us. And I think we've experienced that to an extent already this morning, haven't we? As we've drawn near to him in worship, there's a sense of his presence here. And some of us may have really tangibly sensed that. Some of us may have seen it in others. But God is here with us, and we rejoice in that. And after I presented our vision focus to us, we went went on then to unpack that and do a a quick overview of the Bible. And we followed uh, N.T. Wright's five acts of the play as we focused on the Bible, thinking about creation, uh, fall, Israel, Jesus, and the church. And so we saw that throughout the whole of the Bible, there's this theme of God drawing near to us and then in turn, the opportunity for God's people to draw near to him. And then over the previous four weeks, we've followed the life of Moses, particularly drawing out those four key themes within our vision focus, thinking about breaking down barriers and mindsets. We looked at the call of Moses and thinking about all the reasons Moses thought why he couldn't lead the people of Israel, but God breaking those down and empowering him to lead. And then we looked at raising expectations. Uh, You remember Boz was speaking about the Israelites at the Red Sea and they were looking back to slavery rather than looking ahead to what God could do. And God did this amazing thing of opening up the Red Sea so they could cross and go go into the desert. Uh, And then I talked about cultivating passion and hunger, looking at Exodus 33, thinking about what it is to really increase our desire for God. And we've particularly focused on the tent of meeting, thinking about the, the place and also that space where there's no distractions where we can really go and meet with God. And then finally, Anne Richardson last week uh, thought about developing humility and purity and thinking about the Israelites and how they decided while Moses was up on the mountain to set up for themselves a golden calf. They decided to worship an image of God rather than God himself. And she challenged us you know, in our own lives. I suspect none of us have idols, physical idols, in our houses, in the, image of, in the image of God. But do we have other things that we're setting up in our lives that can take the place of God? And now this week we're moving on to Romans 8 and thinking about the promises of God. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this morning uh, the reading was only four verses. I think over the previous weeks it's been about 20 or so verses. But actually, if you look at the commentators, the commentators have far more on these four verses than they do on the, the 20 verses. That's partly because the, uh, the 20 verses are narrative, um, whereas the, these four verses are teaching from Paul. And Paul packs so much into these four verses. We can't unpack it all today, but we'll unpack some of it. And uh, this morning, we're specifically thinking about um, this area of our vision focus there's around mindsets and barriers. And I'm, I'm just increasingly aware, actually, as we begin to look at this, you know, how I have mindsets and I have barriers in my own mind and heart that can prevent me from growing in my relationship with God. And the reality is that all of us live in a context. We all have a context. We have a context that we all live in around uh, Coventry, unless we're visiting the area. Um, we, we, we all have our family contexts. We have our 
work context. We have all these different contexts that we uh, live in or we work in. And these have their own mindsets. They have their own cultures that can impact on our thinking and our way of doing things. To such an extent, sometimes they just become second nature and we're not even aware that we can have these mindsets. And particularly if we've, I guess, lived or worked in a context for a long time, that becomes increasingly the case. Have you ever experienced when you go into a new context that you see all the things that are different to your previous one? You know, maybe when you go on holiday, uh, you notice, obviously, the language and the food. Those are the obvious things. But you also may uh, notice the ways of doing things and what you should say and what you shouldn't say and how in some cultures, you know, you just got to say it as it is. Uh, But in other cultures, you need to be a bit more nuanced and a bit more careful uh, how you say things. And uh, I was just trying to think about a way to uh, give an example of this, a very crude example um, uh, for myself and uh, as as someone who's trained to be a vicar and then been a curate and now is is a vicar, we've had to travel around a fair amount. And uh, starting off in Devon, just thinking about driving. You know, in Devon, I guess stereotypically... um, Things move a bit slower. You know, if, you, if you're driving along the road, you get stuck behind a tractor and you just have to lump it. You know, particularly if it's a country lane, there's no way of overtaking. Um, and then we moved up to Bristol and uh, everything changed in terms of the driving. It was a bit more, bit more aggressive. You know, if you're at the roundabout and you wanted to get out, you couldn't just wait. You had, to, you had to go for it. You had to take control and be assertive and drive out. Sometimes you get a honk of a horn or whatever it is, but you just had to go for it. Um, you're all waiting to hear what I'm going to say about Coventry, aren't you? Um, <laughs> And uh, Stroud was kind of a bit more going back to like, like it was in Devon. And, and I'm just going to be really diplomatic. It just keeps it easy for me. It was somewhere between Devon and Bristol, Coventry is. Um, but, 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 you know, you know, you hear what I'm saying. And all of us, I'm sure, have experienced those different cultures and mindsets. And, and sometimes it doesn't really matter. You know, does it really matter how, how people drive? Well, sometimes it does, obviously, if you go, go to the extremes. But generally, it doesn't matter too much. As long as you all function properly and don't have a crash, you get by. But there are other mindsets in our cultures that can actually be... Um, uh, be contrary, contrary cultures, a culture um, particularly within the life of the church, you know, a, a kingdom of God culture that we're trying to build sometimes can be against the cultures that we find in our workplaces and in, in the world that we live. And so part of the reason I really want us to think about these mindsets is so that we can make sure that we're being open, that we're being malleable, that we're being open to the ways of the kingdom of God, that God is growing in us a heart and a passion Uh, for him, that we're growing in his ways. And there may be things that actually get in the way, mindsets, ways of thinking that are not from God, in fact, but they're from the world and they prevent us from engaging in what God wants. And uh, just just as we continue to to introduce this subject, it's interesting in Paul's writings, there's almost two focuses here of both being proactive in the renewing of our minds, but also being reactive in the renewing of our minds. And when I say proactive, I mean let's take proactivity in terms of seeking to allow our minds to become more in line with the kingdom of God. And of course we do that how? By reading God's truth, through reading the word of God, uh, doing that by ourselves, but also in the context of groups, teaching on Sundays. And uh, Romans 12, 2 illustrates this really helpfully, doesn't it? It says, do not conform any longer, do not conform any longer to the pattern of, of this world. That's all that I've been talking about already. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's this sense of us taking proaction in seeking for our minds to be renewed so that we, in all, we can in turn be transformed, that we can become more like Jesus. But also, 
in our lives, you'll notice this, that you'll come into a situation or you'll behave in a certain way and you'll notice in yourself that you think, actually, the way I've just behaved is not in line with the ways of the kingdom of God. You know, there's something out of kilter here. And that's when we can actually do something about that as well. And we can be reactive in those contexts. And I think this is where 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5 is helpful. We read the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so we may find ourselves in situations where our thoughts and our ways of doing things are not aligned with the kingdom of God. And we can respond. And we actually have a responsibility here, not just to passively observe that and say, well, I'll try and do better next time, but actually to take action on that. Say, right, I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to do something about this. And I'm going to make it obedient uh, to Christ. And uh, you remember we introduced the five R's um, back along when we looked at mindsets. And if we've got time, I'll look at those again at the end, just to think about how we process through these mindsets um, that we can have. Um, interesting, I've been reading a book recently and, uh, by a Christian author, and he's, he's talking about uh, this very subject, about how we can very easily sort of just go, simply go with the flow in terms of our cultural understandings and our mindsets. And uh, he talks about a psychological experiment that was done with a group of people. I'm not sure how many people are in it, but a line of people. And on the screen were um, three lines uh, out of different lengths. And then over on another screen, there was another line. And you had to answer the question, uh, which line is the line on the other screen the same length of, of those three other lines? And uh, so there the, was... Um, he asked the question, and imagine you were sat there, you know, and it was fairly obvious in, in the mind of this person. They saw it and thought, yeah, it's obvious that, you know, the length of that line is the same as line number one. And then uh, he was at the end, of the end of the row, and then as they went through each person, each person would say, well, actually, no, I think it's line number two. And this would just keep going along. And uh, just imagine yourself in this situation. You might be thinking, well, you know, it's obvious it's line number one, so I'm going to say line number one, but actually... It was interesting, the results of the experiment, that while it was obvious, that wasn't all that people stated. And part of the reason for that is that actually it's much easier for us to conform than it is for us to stand out. You know, as human beings, we don't like to stand out in our views, particularly if we feel they're controversial, but even if they're not controversial, as in this uh, situation here. So um, it was interesting, the scenario um, that was just described was... um, was, was conducted in the 1950s and uh, there was actually interesting how people responded to the experiment that actually a significant majority of the people who were responding, even though they knew that it was line number one that was the same length to the other line, they said the other line because everybody else had said it. And uh, he just uses this to illustrate that actually even in our mindsets it's very easy for us to just go with the understanding of the people around us. And so today what I want us to think about is a specific mindset, and we'll come on to this in a moment um, in Romans chapter 8. Chapter eight. And I just want us to be really open and think, you know, let's, let's lay before God the mindsets that we have and allow them to be uh, moulded into the mindsets that God has for us. Now, just before we go into Romans chapter 8, let's just give a very brief potted context of Romans 
Um, those, it's very hard to do this because there's so much packed into Romans, those of you who've read it. Um, but it's a great book. And uh, let's just let's quickly go through this. So chapter 1 um, talks about, I think we'll, those, these are going to come up on the screen. Chapter 1 is about humanity's rebellion against God. Chapter 2 outlines uh, humanity's guilt because of this rebellion. Um, and then uh, chapter 3 talks about how we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. There's no, none of us who have not fallen short of God's glory. And then chapter 4, there's the promise of salvation through faith. And then chapter 5, we are put right through the saving work of Jesus on the cross as we put our faith in Jesus. And then chapter 6, there's a call to live according to that which God has accomplished in us, that we respond in the way we live. And then chapter 7, there's this sense of the powerlessness of the law to save us, the Mosaic law to save us, whether it leads us to a place where we recognize our need for being saved, where it leads us to that place. Um, So there we go, short potted um, context of Romans, but really encourage you actually perhaps over this next week just to take uh, your Bible and read over and read those first eight chapters particularly of Romans, just to give you a bit of a context as we go through chapter 8 over these next few weeks. And so we come to the establishment of the mindset this week or the promise that God wants to give us that will help us to break down certain mindsets. And it's very simple. It is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so firstly, what's, what is condemnation? Well, con means with, and damnation came, comes from damnation. In other words, none of us are damned. None of us are, are judged, and none of us need to experience the consequence of that judgment, um, which in biblical terms is, is hell, it, eternal separation from God. We do not need to experience that. And Paul states this very explicitly. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's really important that this no condemnation is directly attached with our identity. Do you remember Moses when we were looking at mindsets that he uh, said, but I can't do this, I can't speak well enough, or you know, who am I? If I go to, the, go, go to the people of Israel, they're going to say, well, who sent you? And what's God's response? Does he say, well, you know, Moses, you're qualified. You're, you were a prince of Egypt. You've been educated in the ways of leadership or uh, you know, you, you've spent time looking after sheep, so you know, you've got a great gift in management. Um, he did, he, he, God didn't say any of that, did he? he? He said to Moses, I am who I am. It's nothing to do with who you are. It's to do with who I am, says God. And it's the same for each one of us, that actually we experience no condemnation, not because of who we are or what we've achieved, but because of Christ Jesus. It is for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, if you, in the words of Romans 10.9, have confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are saved and you are free from condemnation. If you haven't uh, made that declaration uh, we'd love to pray for you and uh, we'll give an opportunity at the end of the service for you to make that declaration if you'd like to. But we are free from condemnation when we live in this place. And sometimes as Christians, nonetheless, we can still experience a sense of guilt. You know, 
I imagine probably most of us in this room now have experienced guilt over the last week, okay? Some of you might come up to me afterwards and say, well, no, I haven't, Josh. Well, bless you, that's fantastic. Uh, But most of you probably have experienced um, guilt, and maybe it's the feeling, well, I'm not a good enough Christian, or maybe someone has spoken something over you as a child or as an adult, and you just feel condemned and guilty in that, or uh, maybe... uh, maybe um, uh, something else like you've been reminded of a, of a previous sin that you've committed. It can be a whole host of things, but I want to suggest to you that often this sense of guilt can come from two sources. One is the, the lies of the enemy, the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants to condemn us. He wants to bring us down. And so he will throw everything he can at us to make us feel that sense of judgment over us. But it is not from God. And so, again, I want to suggest to us if that we experience those lies of the enemy, that we take that verse from 2 Corinthians, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's take those thoughts of condemnation and judgment captive, quite literally. Let's imprison them and give them to Jesus. And actually, this verse talks about Jesus condemning them. He condemns those thoughts and ideas that set themselves up against God. But also, we've got such an amazing resource in the Scriptures. There are so many Scriptures that cut across specific judgments and condemnations, and specifically for condemnation as a general. We can read John chapter 3 and verse 17, you know, that verse that follows the very firmest verse, for God so loved the world. It says, for I have not come, Jesus says, for I have not come, into the world, to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you're experiencing condemnation, you know absolutely that that doesn't come from Jesus because Jesus says, I did not come to condemn, but I came to save. He's come to release us and to give us freedom. There are many other scriptures we haven't got time to go into this morning, but again, reinforce this sense that Jesus has come to give us life and not to condemn us. So that's the first thing that I want to suggest that often condemnation or that feeling of guilt can come from is from the lies of the enemy. The other place it can sometimes come from is a confusion about condemnation and conviction. A confusion about condemnation and conviction. And at this point, a table is going to come up on the screen and just illustrate some of the differences between conviction and condemnation. Um, Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to despair. Uh, Conviction ends in joy. Condemnation ends in sorrow. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us think we can't change. Conviction leads to new life, uh, new identity in Christ. Condemnation leads to old identity in sin. Conviction brings specific awareness of sin. And condemnation brings vague uncertainty about sin. Conviction looks to Jesus. Condemnation looks to self. Conviction is a blessing. Condemnation is a burden. I've just rattled those off very quickly, I realize, and we probably cannot assimilate those. But we, we see some of the differences between conviction and condemnation. And in definition, condemnation is with uh, damnation. Conviction is with victory. Victory is about bringing the sin in our life to light so that we can change and we can be different. 
And so this morning, um, maybe this morning, you're experiencing a sense of guilt, and that may be from the enemy, just putting lies in your mind. Or maybe this morning there is something you've done that is out of line with what God wants. And what the enemy would love to do with that is to push you down and say, you know, you're rubbish, you're judged. But actually the reality is we're not judged. We are loved by God. And actually if we're going to experience release from that actual conviction that is not condemnation but is conviction, we need to allow that thing to come into the light and give it to God and say, God, I'm sorry for this and experience his forgiveness. And so that's the first thing I want to say this morning. The next two are far shorter, you'll be pleased to know. Um, So the first is no condemnation. And then we've got two sporting metaphors, one a transfer and secondly a substitute. Okay, So those of us who are in sport perhaps can uh, relate to those. Romans 8.2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We have all received a transfer in Christ. And uh, just need to be clear here that the word law here, uh, Paul uses two meanings for the word law. Uh, Law in the Greek is nomos. And uh, in this context, the law probably doesn't mean, which is perhaps the more common meaning, the Mosaic law. When Paul talks about the law, he talks a lot about the Mosaic law, which is particularly the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and especially Exodus with the Ten Commandments and all the laws that go through that, and also uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, but Mo- uh, Moses, uh, Paul probably isn't talking about that. He's talking probably about another meaning of law, uh, which is about power or binding authority. And so he's talking about a power and a binding authority that we've been moved from one realm, if you like, to another realm. And that's the realm of sin, which leads to death, to the realm of the spirit, which leads to life. Interestingly, when the law was given and the people rebelled, how many people died? It was 3,000. When the spirit was given at Pentecost, how many people received new life, received the grace of God and came into a faith 3,000 so the law brings death but the spirit brings life and for all of those again who have made our commitments to following Jesus we have received a transfer from the kingdom or the realm of sin which leads to death to the realm of the spirit which receives life if you've made a commitment to following Jesus you've been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit And that deposit guarantees you new life in him. Praise God, that's so amazing, isn't it? We have been released from the penalty of sin and death. We have received this amazing transfer. And Paul uh, encapsulates this brilliantly, doesn't he, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, which says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're called into freedom. Let's, let's live in that space and the wonder of that. You know, so often as Christians we can live under guilt, but let's live under freedom because that's what God calls us into. So we've received the transfer. How have we received this transfer? Well, we've received it through the substitution, through the substitution of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4a says, For what the law was powerless... To do Now, it's important to recognize here 
Uh, Paul is moving to the other definition of law here. He's talking about the Mosaic law, not the sense of the realm. So when he says for what the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. God sent his own son to be in the likeness of sinful man. This is the substitution that God, who is perfect, Jesus, who is perfect, came to earth and he took our place. He came as in the likeness of sinful man, not as sinful man because he was not sinful, but he came in the likeness of it. And he has taken our sin, our shame on himself so that we can experience fullness and renewed life. And it's really important because to, to just... Uh, diverge for a moment here and recognize sometimes the law gets a bad press okay but actually the law is a good thing in and of itself but its purpose is not to save us it's to make us aware of sin in our life but it does release us and gives us life in him and so what's uh, perhaps a modern day parable that we could use to help us understand uh, what uh, this substitute looks like well um, many of us here will have a car And just imagine, I know none of you would ever do this, but just imagine you were driving down the road and you were breaking the speed limit. Not only were you breaking the speed limit, but you were actually going 105 miles uh, down the motorway. I imagine most of us definitely wouldn't uh, go that fast, I hope. Um, But imagine you were going 105 uh, miles an hour and an unmarked police car comes up behind you, uh, sirens going, lights going, and pulls you over onto the hard shoulder. And uh, he's got video footage of you as well. So he says, you're done, mate. You've had it. So he books you and he, he uh, impounds your car and takes you to, uh, takes you to the local courthouse. Realise that wouldn't happen straight away, but just say it did. Uh, t- takes you to the local uh, courthouse. And uh, you think, oh, yeah, brilliant, fantastic. I'm glad we're going to this courthouse because actually my best mate, he's the judge here. And so you turn up and you see your, see your friend there who's, who's the judge. And, uh, but then as you go in, you think, actually, well, he is my best mate, but actually... I know also he's really fair and he, he always gives judgments that are right and just and fair to, to, the, to the person who's perpetrated but also to give justice to the person who's been perpetrated against. And so it comes to the judgment and uh, he's he first asked, you know, do you, do you see yourself as, guilt, yourself as guilty or not guilty? Well, obviously he's got to say guilty because his mate's there for one thing but also uh, the, 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 uh, the, the video footage and the policeman's uh, testimony and uh, so he stands there and he's convicted and the judge passes judgment on him and he says, look, uh, I'm not sure what the going rate is these days for uh, that kind of uh, offence, but just say for argument's sake, um, it's a £500 fine or a, a week in prison. And so uh, he's got these two choices. He doesn't have £500, so he takes the week in prison. And then it's at that point that the grace kicks in and the judge takes off his gown and he steps down into the bay and he, he says to a friend, you know, I've had to pass judgment on you. He takes his checkbook out and he writes out a check for £500 to the courthouse. And he pays the price of what that man should have paid for what he did. And that's exactly what God the Father has done for us, only to the nth degree in comparison. That he himself sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to take the place of us, to be our substitute so that we could experience freedom from our sin. And this morning, the basis of our non-condemnation, that promise is on the basis of Christ's substitution. 
that he has paid the price. It's not on the basis of anything any of us in this room can do. We are completely helpless in addressing that need. God gives us everything we need through Christ's death and resurrection. And so as we think about this um, this morning, uh, we receive no condemnation. We've been transferred from the realm of sin and death to the realm of the Spirit. And we receive that through Christ's substitution. And uh, if we can have the five R's up, we haven't got lots of time to go through this, but um, if we just get them all up, Ben, that would be great. Thank you. Um, just remember with, uh, with mindsets that firstly we've got to recognize our sin. So if it's down to something we've done wrong, then we need to allow God uh, to take this. And it, it, frankly, if it's a mindset, even if it's about something else that someone's spoken over us, if we're absorbing that, we need to bring that into the light and give that to God. We need to recognize it. Secondly, we need to receive forgiveness and cleansing. We need to receive God's forgiveness and forgiveness from anyone else who we've acted against uh, in exercising a certain mindset. Thirdly, we need to repent. So in the context of condemnation, we need to turn away from that belief that we are under judgment and we need to turn towards God's grace, that God, as Jesus has said, does not condemn us, but he saves us. And then we rebuke it. We take it and say, you know, in Jesus' name, I tell the condemnation to be gone because you have no authority over me because of what Jesus has achieved for me. And then you replace it. You replace it, which ties into the repentance. You replace it with the good. You replace it with what God does speak over us. So if it's condemnation, we speak over ourselves, actually, I am not condemned, but I am saved. And we receive God's saving power.